Welcome back to the Real Quick with Mike Swick podcast. Today we have Anthony Smith on the show, somebody I've wanted to bring on for a long time. We finally got it booked. Big fan of his. He's a smart guy. He's a great fighter. I think we're going to have a great conversation. Uh, you know, he's very good on the, on the radio, so I think we can, uh, we can hit it off quite well and, and, and get some great information. So let's get started. Anthony, welcome to the show, and uh, good to finally have you on, bud. Yeah, man, it's good to finally be on. Yeah, it's cool. Um, been wanting to have you on for a while, and uh, we reached out, and and you made it happen. We actually did it pretty fast. So, uh, congrats on your your win. Uh, huge win for you. Um, you seem very happy about it. Quick triangle. Yeah, yeah, that one was. Uh, you know, as far as I don't know, as far as you know, the the name or the the level of opponent or the the level of the ranking or the guys that you beat. Um, that was probably one of the bigger ones for me, but. I, I mean, you know how it is. You, you go through a tough patch, and you know, you, as much as you try to block out all the all the BS and all the guys talking shit, and yeah. you know, it's especially when you're kind of up there in the rankings. You know, the rest of the guys in the rankings, it's like they smell blood. You know, you you got a bunch of hungry hyenas nipping at you all the time, and it was just good to, I don't know, good to just shut everybody up. You know, and and just I get I don't know. I guess remind people, you know, that like I'm not going anywhere, and and you know, maybe I tripped up a little bit and stubbed my toe, but, uh, you know, I'm still the same guy that I was when they all were avoiding me the first time. Yeah, it's weird the things you go through as a fighter that people don't know about. Um, they see people on top winning fights, and they're like, God, your life is so amazing, and no stress, and you're winning all these fights, but behind the scenes you're dealing with, you know, there is stress. You know, there is people that are doubting you. There's comments that you're reading or something or or articles that are coming out from the media that's like, you know, doubting whatever it is that, that they can find to doubt about you. And it's like, there is a lot of things you go through as a fighter that, that people don't know. And, and I know exactly what you're talking about. You know, the, the, the kind of roller coaster ride you take, especially when you're at the ranks that you are, where you're kind of at the top, you know what I mean? And like, you know, it's, it's, uh, it's, it's a very interesting journey. Um, you know, I know you said after the fight that you're not going anywhere. I, I don't doubt that. I don't think anyone doubts that. Even though you've had 50 fights, which is insane, bro. Like 50 fights is so many fights, but <laughs> Being 32, you're still young in your prime. Um, but what is your path now? Like, what do you what do you see as your path moving forward? What do you want to do as far as like where do you see uh, your path to getting where you want? Like, like who would you like to fight? What route would you like to go? What do you see? What do you envision? Uh, you know, I think after the after the John fight, and then I went on to Gus, and then you know, kind of stubbed my toe a couple times. Um, you know, I had just a long sit down with my coach and my team, and I guess trying to figure out what the hell I'm doing wrong. Um, and I don't, I don't think it's a, I don't think it's a skill level thing. I don't think it's a technique thing. It's, I, you know, like you said, I got 50 fights. So the, the way that I've approached my fights is it, I've always just, you know, some guys say it and it's just a soundbite and it's, but it ends up being bullshit. Like I've, I just fight whoever they put in front of me. It, it, I've never, I can't think of one time I've ever turned a fight down. Um, yeah. as long as I was healthy and, and able to, but I'm not necessarily sure that that's the right way to go about it. You know, um, you see some of these other guys and, and they, they're, they're a little more strategic about the guys that they fight and the way that they kind of approach their career. And, and the way that I've done it is just, I, I guess my mindset has always been, if I, if I think I'm good enough to be a world champion, I should be able to beat anybody. Um, but I'm not necessarily sure again, that that's the right way to go about it. So as of right now, I'm, I'm kind of slowing down a little bit and I'm, I don't want to say I'm picking and choosing my fights, but I'm just backing out and and making sure that the fights that i'm taking are the, are the are the correct ones like for example the ufc loves this johnny walker fight yeah. um 
and they so they you know they every time I turn around it's like hey what about Johnny Walker what about Johnny Walker what about Johnny Walker it's, <laughs> it's not that I don't think I can be Johnny Walker yeah, yeah it's that I'm not sure that that's the right fight for my career it's nothing yeah. to do with wins or losses it's where is that going to take me right so you know then there was the Paul Craig thing so it's like if Paul Craig and Johnny Walker get me in the exact same position after a win then why wouldn't I fight Paul Craig instead Right. It's not that Paul Craig isn't a phenomenal fighter. It's that the skill set that he has matches up better with the skill set that I have. Yeah. Uh, Johnny Walker's just, he's kind of a, I don't know, he's hes kind of a, the wild card, you know? Like, if, if you beat him, you're supposed to. And if you lose to him, then you just you got beat by Johnny Walker. And, and he's not the most technical guy in the world. He's super, he's really big. He's crazy athletic. He's really powerful. Um, but he's unpredictable. Yeah. Um, so... That's kind of the path that I'm taking is, is trying to make sure that I'm taking the right fights um, and not necessarily because I know that the fans would love that, too. And, and so I don't want to be the guy that doesn't want to give the fans what they want. But at the same time, it's, you know, I, I, I got to figure out the right path to get me back to a title fight. And right now, uh, you know, they had like four matches up for me. And so we kind of sat back and, and we're trying to figure out what the right ones were. And, and right now the UFC is moving so fast and, and these guys want to fight so bad that it ended up being that four of those guys matched themselves with each other instead, but without waiting, you know, they were sick of waiting on me. Yeah. Um, so I don't, I don't really know what's next yet. You know, I, I kind of want to fight in April. I think there's a, like an April 10th pay-per-view. Uh, I think it's on fight Island. I'm not hundred percent sure, but, um, that's kind of, that's the date I'm looking at. I'm not really sure about who yet. Yeah. And I see what you're saying about that. Um, you know, it's obvious, you know, that, that that's a, a, one way of looking at it where it's like, if I'm going to be a champ, I got to beat, everyone but then when you fight everyone back to back it's like you know there's a lot of other variables that come into play you may be sick you may have an injury you may be burnt out you may have stress in your personal life there's there's a lot of things that's why when guys get on these streaks that are so long and people are like yeah they're just better than all those guys they're actually a little bit more than better than all those guys because they're winning all those fights while also probably dealing with the because you never show up at 100 percent and 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 you know as a fighter you can't say you didn't show up at 100 percent so you have to deal with a lot of different variables when you when you show up to fight. And and that's what you face when you take so many fights, I think. Um, you may lose a fight that you shouldn't have lost because of something that had nothing to do with that fight. And then now where are you at? Now you're back down lower than where you were. And, and then everything kind of starts over. And as competitive as it is right now, and so many fights, so many fighters, it's tough to get back where you're at right now, you know, in that, that, that top ranking. You know, it's, it's, there's a lot of good fighters out there. Yeah, it's, it's, it's really tough. You know, even with the, with my mindset and the way that I've, I guess, just approached my career, I've never, and I, and I've been working through it a lot now. And I, you know, I've talked, I guess, a little more openly about it now, but you know, just not even like a sports therapist, just like a life therapist and just trying to unload all the bullshit that I have going on. Right. Um, I don't have any, any bigger issues than a lot of people in the rest of the world. I just, I guess just, uh, you know, when you're in the spotlight, you don't have an opportunity to kind of just hide away yeah. and deal with it. You got to do it right in front of everybody. So, yeah. um, you know, I, I think that, you know, looking back, I probably should have backed out of the Glover fight and I should have pulled out of the Rackage fight. But I always have felt like if I, if I go into, if I go up to it and, or if I go into this fight or, or I'm leading up to the, the fight and training camp and I say, I got to call the UFC and say, listen, I can't, I just can't do it right now. Like it, and I'm not, and I'll have like a broken leg or something. I was always felt like that was like a huge sign of weakness because I would have had to say it out loud and right. say like, I can't do something. And I just couldn't, 
I couldn't bring myself to do it. Like my coaches were saying like, dude, there's, you got this, this, and this, and this, like you're, you're not totally dialed in. Like I was at every practice. I was, I was physically in good shape. I was training hard, but it's like, are you, are you just checking a box when you show up? Or are you like super present? Right. Um, and I'm not sure that I was, you know, we had the, the home invasion. It was the COVID thing. The fight kept getting moved. I was, I was really banged up. I mean, I was good enough to make it through a practice, but, um, you know, you, like you said, like we're never a hundred percent, but you know, I was like 60, you know? Yeah. So, uh, you want to be closer than that usually, but I, you know, you know, you know how it is. You go in there banged up and then it starts and that goes away for a little while. So, um, I've just always had this ultimate belief in myself and, and, I guess I'm figuring out now I need to be a little more realistic sometimes. And, and, and it's sometimes it's okay just to take a step back and say, Hey man, I just need to let these guys go ahead and, and, and I need to chill on the sidelines for a minute. Yeah, I agree with you. And you know, a lot of times you get these guys that get to the top and they just can't beat the top guys. And they, you know, they're looked upon as like gatekeepers, like that can't beat the top guys, you know, because you've had so many fights, people might put you in that category, but you're young. I don't see you plateauing. I don't see you plateauing right now. And I don't see you plateauing in the future, like in the near future. I think you're still learning, like you said, and you're going to get better and better. So you just happen to get some big fights early. And I think they're lessons, in my opinion, this is just my, you know, my obviously opinion on this, but I just, I see you taking those as lessons and you're just going to have better and better fights. I mean, you know, when you have 50 fights, you get looked upon as older and, 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 you know, more of a veteran than you are. You are a major veteran, but it's like you're 32, man. That's young. You know, that's really young for, for the sport. I mean, you're still getting, you're in your prime and you got plenty of prime left. So, um, I think, I think that's going to be good for you. And I think you got a long ways to go. Um, you said you're, you're looking at maybe possibly fighting in Yas Island and fight Island. You haven't fought in fight Island, correct? Like it's been all Vegas uh-huh. fights this year. You've had three fights this year and, uh, or last year, sorry, in, uh, Vegas. Yep. How's that been, man? How, how, how's that been dealing with all that COVID? Because I have mad respect for all you guys for putting it on the line, continuing to fight. I know you got to obviously make money and take care of your family, but you are also going through a lot of shit that like we didn't have to go through and you and everyone else before this didn't have to go through. And it's got to be a pain in the ass to go through all that stuff. So first, hats off to you, man. Much respect. And second, how has that been going through the Vegas aspect? And then how are you looking forward to the fight island where you actually have to travel to? Um, yeah. So the, my first fight, I guess I got to go back. The first one was that very first, uh, three events that were in Jacksonville. Yeah. Yeah, Okay. And that was crazy. Um, it was a little bit, the, the protocols were a little different, so I didn't even stay at the host hotel. I was able to actually get an Airbnb. I brought my whole family. Oh, nice. Um, but some of that was because of the break in and the, the, the home invasion. Uh, was not that long before that. So right. I didn't, my family wouldn't like, they didn't want me to leave them. You didn't want to leave them so, there, yeah. So the UFC was like, well, just bring them with you then. Um, obviously you can't do that now. The protocols have all changed, but right, right. so I was able to bring them with me. Um, so the, the Vegas one, it's, it's really crazy, man. It's, it's, I don't know. It's sometimes I sit back and think about it. It's like, is this really the world we're living in? Yeah. Um, you know, they pick you up from the airport. They take you all, they take you straight back to the hotel you go right to the COVID testing place um, that's in the parking lot. It's in this big, you know, it's in that big shack in the parking lot, uh, big trailer. And they test you right away. And then you check in your hotel and like you're, you're stuck until your positive, until your negative test comes back. You're just in your room, wow. um, which kind of throws me off a little bit. And and I don't know if it, how it affects some of the other guys, but I'm kind of a hanging out guy. Yeah. Um, yeah. You know, I, I don't cut a lot of weight anymore. So I like to, I don't know. I just like to chill and go 
you know, eat at a restaurant and just hang out with my team. And we, you know, we bring the PlayStation and we sit in the living room and, and just geek out on Madden football. And, you know, like fight week is kind of an enjoyable thing for me. It didn't used to be when I was at 185, but at 205, it's, it's a total hangout. Like it's, I usually bring a couple friends with me and, and we just chill, you know, it's yeah. like a enjoying thing, you know, I'm not partying or anything, but it's, it's cool just to hang out. So that's been a little different because you're kind of quarantined two or three different times during the week and you can't really be jumping around from room to room. And, um, but as far as the, the fights go, it's less about the COVID stuff. It's the no fans that really yeah. threw me off at the beginning. It's, I kind of feed on that stuff. And, and I think I have a little bit of like, I have a fan appealing style. Mm-hmm. So people that maybe they're not the biggest fans, like maybe they're not Anthony Smith fans. When I fight, people go crazy because they know win or lose like it's going to be like something nuts is going to happen so um you can feel the excitement and and it's it's just a different feeling when you're walking out you know you got twenty thousand fans in sweden booing you you know versus you walk out and you can hear dana sneeze yeah yeah. (laughs) it's it's crazy man (laughs) and the commentary must be the commentary must be so weird when you can hear not only the commentary, but I'm sure the coaches on either side, like your opponent's coaching too, is probably a little bit more clear. Like I can obviously sometimes hear my opponent's coaching and, and, and my own obviously, but it's got to be a lot different when you can hear both so clear. Then you hear DC on the side and, and, and those guys yeah. critiquing you. Sometimes it may be good. Sometimes it may be bad. Sometimes it may be telegraphing kind of what you're, you're doing. It's got to be so weird, all this stuff, dealing with all it that is. versus just a lot Why of not? energy, you know? When I when I took down when I took down Devin, um, it was right on his 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 coach's side of the octagon, and uh, I was actually going to go a different direction, and his coaches were like, "All right, work your way to the fence," and I was like, "Oh," <laughs> so then I grabbed his wrist, and that's when I Pulled. sucked him back and drug him to the yeah. middle of the cage. That, uh, that was not my plan, yeah. but once I realized like. Oh, he thinks he's close enough. He's gonna just scramble to the cage, and this is a pretty strong dude. So, yeah, um, that's when I sucked him back to the cage. You know, so it's it can be good and it can be bad too. Like, it, you know, this is a kind of a different situation. But when I fought John, I could hear his coaches really, really well. Um, for whatever reason, I don't know if I was just tuned in or if, you know one of their voices just happened to cut through better than some of the other coaches do. But nothing they were saying made any sense. Yeah. It was the weirdest shit I've ever been a part of. Like. Yeah. They, they got were, like codes or I something. Mean, it, yeah, I was super coded. Like I, I'm used to codes because we, because my team, <laughs> we, you know, we, my coaches always coach and code, so it doesn't make yeah. any sense. But it, it wasn't even like, uh, it wasn't a code that, I don't know, it was even just made odd. sense like, or something. It, it didn't flow. Like, yeah, you know, my coaches will say, "Hey, I need you to do this," and they'll give a code, or I need you to go here, here, and here, and it's, but it's, it makes, it's like it flows in a sentence. Like the coding doesn't make any sense, but at least it flows. There's is it's like they're speaking another language. Like there was no regular words in there. It yeah. was just a bunch of jumbled bullshit. So it was it was really confusing. And then yeah. they kept saying my name. So it was like they had another code, but it was my name and it was really fucking with me really bad. That's um, so crazy. So like I think on on like in some situations I think it could be bad if you're paying too much attention to the other coaching. Yeah. Um but in situation like with Devin, you know, I I was able to pull him away from the fence because I knew that their, you know, their plan at the time was to get him to the fence to stand up. What did it affect? Because I know in the post-fight interview, you talked about how strong he was. You just said it again. 
I had an opponent um, where it backfired on me. You won the fight, so you can say it and get away with it. I had a fight with Yushin Okami, uh, and he was just a really strong Japanese guy. I mean, the guy could have easily been a 205 fighter, and, and I was always really good in the clinch. So I was always really strong in the clinch for my size, and, I, and, and, and kind of the game plan was to out-clinch him, move around if he gets close, and then make space and do my striking. And I went back after the first round, and I told my coaches that he's really strong. And it was basically to let them know that, like, you know, we got to change the game plan. I can't let this guy touch me because he, he drugged me down and won the first round. You know what I mean? Like, he's fucking strong. I got, we got to move. We got to have some footwork. We got to move around. We got to stay on the outside. Um, and then I went out there and won the second round dominantly, almost finishing him. But still, after the fight, I lost the third round because he took me down and, and ended up on top. So many people gave me shit after that fight because they're like, oh, you were mentally broken after the first round because you said how strong you was. And that hurt me worse than the actual loss. And like after he said that was when I had the best round of the entire fight, which was the second round. Um, but with you, you won the fight. What, what did it change during the fight or what, what, did, it, uh, what did it cause? Any kind of uh, problems for you? Like when did you notice he was strong and like how did you, uh, you know, adhere to that and, 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 and fix it to where you can still get that triangle so fast? Yeah, I think that in that fight, I was really, I think I was really focused on that because I had fought Alexander Rackage right before that. And, you know, it came back to bite me in the ass because during the, all the pre-fight stuff, they're like, where do you see this fight happening? Where do you think you're dominant? Um, I didn't think that there was a world existed that Alexander Rackage was going to hang with me on the ground at all. Right. I didn't account for the fact that the dude was stronger than 10 men. It was, it was insane. <laughs> um, I figured if we ended up on the ground, it was just a matter of time, you know, a matter of time before I, I strapped something around his neck and, and went home with my second check. But yeah. <laughs> uh, once we got there, it was really clear that like, I, I guess, so, you know, I guess I'm going to go in the weeds a little bit here, but I, I always looked at Rakic as like this really confident striker, you know, that just wanted to just bang and let him fly. But then when we were in there, Anytime I got close to him, he like panicked. Yeah. And it was so, but my whole plan was I just wanted to get to the clinch so I could drag him down because I didn't want to just have him slinging bullets at my head for 15 minutes. So that was my idea because I, I just figured like that was his game plan. Like he has to strike with me or he can't right. beat me. So once we got, once I started trying to get to the clinch, I was realizing like he didn't really want to strike. He just wanted to whip leg kicks and then he wanted to end up on top. Yeah. So it was like our game plans kind of worked out together. <laughs> yeah. um, but then when he got on top, he didn't he didn't do anything on top. He didn't raise his head to posture and punch. He didn't try to pass. He just kind of hooked his elbows down and, uh, you know, attached to my hips and I couldn't move, but he was so damn strong. There was nothing I could do about it. And he had me jammed up against the fence. So then I, you know, I went back and I was like, all right, I got to get stronger. I'm not going back down to 185. That's just, there's no chance it's happening. So I really worked on getting stronger and, and, and just being a little more, maybe active on the bottom. Sometimes I do get a little comfortable there just cause it, you know, I'm, I'm never really in a whole lot of danger from the bottom. So, um, then I got in there with Devin and the plan was totally opposite. It was like, let's be on the outside. Let's strike him. I don't want this big behemoth just to manhandle me and rip me all over the place. So, right. um, we ended up in the clinch and it was fairly simple. You know, he didn't feel that strong once I got to the double under. So I was like, well, I'll just take him down then. Um, but then we got there, he just got in that, you ever like been doing jujitsu with someone who's nowhere close to your level, but they're so strong. They make every single thing you want to do difficult. Yep. That was, that was like Devin Clark. Like as far as his level, it, I, I don't exactly know where he is as far as his belt level, but you know, he was like a decent blue belt. It felt like, 
but it was he was like that really shredded blue belt that you just struggle yeah. with all the time. It's like that round, you're like, oh shit. Like, <laughs> you know, I got guy. this guy. He's, he's <laughs> not necessarily that good. Yeah. But he's gonna it's gonna make it really difficult. That was kind of him. Like he held on to my head forever. Yeah. Like so. I just couldn't get it out. You know, and and I was trying to go to the twister and but I couldn't get my wrist out. His grip strength was just so strong. So yeah. I had to go somewhere else. Um and then he come he came to the top and I actually sat up faster than he did. He just kind of was like, yeah, sit down, you know, and I, yeah. so I just stuck in my butt, you know, so um, it, it definitely was a was a I don't want to say it was a problem, but it was it was impressive for sure. Um, I've, I've always been really impressed with guys that are that are just, I don't know, just farmer strong like that. And, and they just grab something and that's just theirs, you know, because I've, I've never been like that. I've always been kind of a tall, lanky, like I'm the slick guy, like I'm, yeah, yeah, I'm the yeah. sneaky uh, chess player, but. You know, I've always been kind of, I've always kind of admired guys that are just, that just have that kind of power. They can just grab something and they just get up when they want to get up. They just move where they want to go. I've just, I've never been that guy. So, um, you know, afterwards I, you know, I talked to him like, God damn, man, you are so strong. <laughs> it's just insane to me how strong some people can get. Yeah. And it didn't, didn't show, man. It was news because like you got the takedown fairly fast and it seemed effortlessly and you couldn't really tell that, you know, you couldn't see that strength. You could see you missed the, the twist or whatever and, and all that, but you couldn't see that strength. So, you know, it, it was when you said that, I was like, I wanted to kind of get you to elaborate a little bit of how it affected the fight. Um, and then going into your division, a couple of changes are coming up right now. What are your thoughts on John Jones going since you fought him at 205? What are your thoughts on him going to heavyweight? Do you think he's going to make a good transition into heavyweight and that's where he belongs? Or do you think that might be too, too big for him? Or what, what are your overall thoughts on that? No, you know, I think uh, I think John will be just fine at heavyweight. Um, I don't look at it as John being a 205 or moving up to heavyweight. I think John has always been a heavyweight who sucks himself down to 205. He's a big dude uh, right now. He's real big, man. And, <laughs> and I've seen him outside of camp several times. Uh, he's big then, yeah. You know, he's making a huge deal out of being 240 right now. He's just a different 240 right now. Yeah. But John regularly gets to 240. Yeah, he's, yeah. A, he's a really big dude, you know. He's... He claims he's six four. He's every bit of six six. Um, yeah. <laughs> he's, you know, he, it's weird that people gave me a lot of shit about that. Oh, Anthony's lying about his height, you know, like in our face off. And I was like, you guys ever think maybe he's lying? Yeah. Like, uh, <laughs> like, and I, I don't think I've ever told anybody in the UFC that I was six four. Like, I think they just guess. But yeah. uh, I'm, ever, I'm absolutely six four. But then John got arrested. And then his his uh, his mugshot had like the the scale oh, like shit. the height scale behind him. I was like, see, I told you guys, he's he's like just a shade above six six. But oh shit, um, is, I didn't know it was that big. He's he gets a little he gets a little soft typically in the off season, like when he's out of camp. Um, so he's big. He gets a little bit of a beer belly and and you know gets a little chubby in his cheeks. But um, he's done a really good job, man. I'm not, you know I'm I'm usually not the first person to jump on and give John any compliments, but. It seems like he's done a really good job of putting on the weight properly and, and really focusing on his diet. And, and if he is 240, he, he's absolutely changed the composition of his body. He's, you can see it in his traps and his shoulders. And, you know, even when, when I fought him, he came in and he, you know, he did his little cartwheel. And I remember seeing his cartwheel. He had like the widest back of any <laughs> person I've ever seen. It was the way he's built is, is, yeah. It's really it's really perfect for fighting. It really is. He's his his waist is really skinny, so he's, you know, and but his shoulders are so wide and his obviously his arms are really long and um I didn't have a whole lot of issues with his with his reach. 
of his arms. I, I think I focused too much on that in the training camp. Like, how do we get around his reach? How do we get around his reach? John's not a phenomenal boxer. He's really not. He's, you know, I said this several times. If you take each individual skill set that John has uh, and we were to compete in a jiu-jitsu match, I feel like I'd smoke John. If we're in a boxing match, I would win that boxing match. If it was, you know, just a kickboxing match, I think I would win that. But it's the way that he puts it together and the way that his body is built. And, and, and I don't, again, I'm not saying that John's only good because of the way that he's built. Right. But the way that he's built with the skill set that he has he puts it together. and his ability to, to use it correctly, yeah. um, he, he's just really <laughs> – again, I hate giving him compliments, but he's done a really <laughs> good job, man. Yeah. And I don't think he's going to have too many problems with heavyweight because I think already he's the size of a lot of heavyweights. If he's 240, he's already bigger than Stipe is. So, yeah. um, you know, the, I think the only, the biggest difference is I don't think John is, he's not a powerful 205er. So I, I think that he may have some issues maybe backing some of those guys off, right. uh, at heavyweight just because he doesn't possess that kind of zapping power that's going to sting you and make you want to take a step back because he didn't have that at 205. And there's some power in that heavyweight division. I mean, you got <laughs> Stipe, you got Nganu, you got, you got some serious power in there. Yeah, it's nuts, man. You know, even Stipe, I don't think – I think just with – you know, you got guys like Ngannou and, and um, Derek Lewis and All uh, them, Curtis yeah. Blades. And, and, like, those guys are you, – you you see those guys hurting people a lot. But, like, I've trained with Stipe, and it's really different, man. It's it's crazy the way that – the because, you know, when I'm – you know, in between fights, I'm 220. Stipe at his heaviest is 238, 240. Like it shouldn't be that big of a difference, but he just hits different. It's just, yeah. it's really different, man. And it's that, that's why I've been so impressed with uh, Ngano. Like he took four or five clean overhands from Stipe and didn't even blink. It's like yeah. his head didn't even turn. Yeah, um, it's incredible. Which, which was just amazing to me. But um, it's it's really different, man. And if Stipe's probably not the most powerful guy at heavyweight, like he's got plenty of power. But that's the the scary thing to me. Like I've never trained with any of the other heavyweights, so. Stipe is kind of my, you know, my gauge there. And if those guys, you know, how much more powerful is Ngannou than Stipe? And then, Fran, you know, and then Derek Lewis. And that, yeah. it's a scary division up there. It really is. I think I think his dynamic style is going to give him an advantage in that aspect. Um, he's going to have a little bit more dynamic overall kind of, uh, you know, well-rounded style than most of those guys. But I think when he gets hit with those punches, it's going to be a little bit different. And that's going to be the key to victory to those guys is landing those punches to him and I think like what you said you know it's gonna be a different a different animal when, when he gets hit with those guys I mean I mean those guys like Nganu they hit you with like half punches and put you out like it's they don't I mean they, they don't even have to come all the way back to like cock that thing to it's it's incredible I mean it's yeah so that that's where I think uh that's gonna go but it's gonna be interesting to see and then someone else coming up going into your division obviously Adesanya what are your thoughts on that I mean obviously he's coming up and and I don't know if he plans to stay for long or if he's just testing himself one time or whatever the case but how do you see him doing being that a lot of people think he's kind of skinny at middleweight obviously he's a fantastic striker but moving up to that you know that next level at 205 how do you see him him doing there um you know I actually get to ask this question a lot um sorry I, and I think people <laughs> expect me to have a no 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 it's 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 it, it, it's a good one, but like, I think that a lot of people, and I'm not saying you, but like, I'm, I think a lot of people expect me to be like upset that, you know, he's coming in, he's getting a media title shot. He's never fought in the division. Izzy's kind of one of those guys. 
when you do what you what he's done and 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 beat people the way he's beating them and and he's as popular as he is and and he's you know he's really raw you know you kind of he is what he is you know he doesn't really fake it um you kind of can do whatever you want um and it's it, it seems like I feel like if I was in if I was a 55 and then Connor came up and got an immediate title shot I'd probably be pissed uh but for some reason I'm not really that upset about um Adesanya coming up he just it seems like he's doing everything the right way so I don't know how he's gonna do. Um, I Blahovich is just really good, man. He's yeah, he's big. He's, I, I I said it for a long time. He he's the dark horse of the division. He's the guy that's easy to pass over when you're kind of looking at the lay of the land. He's the guy that you're easily like, oh, and then there's John Blahovich from Poland, and then but then you got Dominic Reyes, and then you know like yeah. he's easy to pass over. Um, he's really big too. He's yeah. big as shit. Big as hell. And he he does a really good job of of kind of dragging the fight down to his, his pace. He doesn't really fight fast. You know, you can get over on him in one round, you can get over him, you know, get over on him in two, but eventually you're just going to, you're going to find yourself plodding along with him and at his pace. And he, he's really fundamental. He's not super flashy. His ground game's really good. His takedown defense is phenomenal. I don't think he gets enough credit for that. Yeah. Um, you know, Luke Rockhold yeah. is, uh, again, and the guy that's not my best friend, but a guy that, I absolutely have a lot of respect for his game and, and, and I've heard about his takedowns and, and how dangerous that dude is on top. And it's like, it's, you know, and the boys in the back, you know, Luke Rockhold is that guy that people are like, man, don't let that dude on top of you. You know, yeah. maybe so much in the media, everyone looks at him like a striker, but the kind of like the guys in the back are like, man, don't let that dude on top of you. Yeah. Um, so his ability, you know, when he fought Blahovich and, and as hard as Luke was kind of selling out on the takedowns, I was really impressed with Jan's ability yeah. to stay on his feet, especially so tight in the clinch right there. You know, I don't think Luke is known as so much like a double single leg guy, but I feel like if that dude gets a holding in the clinch, you got some serious problems. Yeah. Um, so I don't, I don't know how that fight goes. You know, Blahovich is, he's been knocked out before, but I'm not sure that Izzy has that, that, you know, crazy shut your lights off type of power. He, it, seems like he's a lot like Connor in the, you know, in the, in the way of his timing is really good. His, his accuracy is good. He hits you when you step in, he hits you when you're, you know, you, when you're not looking. Um, so I don't know. I'm really, that's, that's a really interesting fight for me. I, if Jan does what he does best and that's just kind of slow the fight down and, and counters really well. Um, you know, I, Izzy has also been knocked out before. So I, yeah. I, I think if, I think that if Izzy was like a big 85 er you know, I think that that looks a little different, but he's really not. You know, like yeah. he walks fairly close to his weight class, and so those guys may be separated by like forty pounds, which is crazy. Be, to me. Yeah, Jan is gigantic. He is. He is. It's 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 crazy to me how like once I got to the kind of the top of the division, um, I had already fought Tiago Santos at eighty five, so I kind of had a good idea of how big he was. But you know, you I kind of fought like I fought Vulcan, and I was like, oh, he's not that big of a two hundred five er, but then. You get there and you get to fight. You're like, God damn, this guy's big. Yeah. <laughs> um, and 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 maybe sometimes I put too much weight into that as far as wor- being worried about it. But um, the rest of the guys in the division are fairly close to my size. But you get to like Reyes, Blahovich, you know, Johnny Walker's pretty big. Um, Tiago's put on a lot of weight since he's moved up. He's really grown in that weight class. So that's kind of where I've been focused a little bit. It's just just trying to get a little bit bigger. Um, and even in my last fight, you know, I think it's a process. Like I was heavier in my last fight than I've ever been. Um, not necessarily sure that I put it on in the correct way. You know, I was kind of just smashing whatever. And, and no matter how hard you try, you can't really outwork. You can't outwork a bad diet. So, yeah, yeah. um, 
I thought the more calories I put in, the better. I think I just need to do it in a little bit better way because I think I put on, I put on 15 pounds. I think about half of that went to my belly. So <laughs> I got to figure that <laughs> it's out. Easy for sure. to do. All right. I hope you're enjoying the podcast, but I got to thank our sponsors really fast. Our first being Manscaped, the official trimmer of the UFC, and now the official trimmer of the Real Quick with Mike Swick podcast and yours truly. Precision engineered tools for your family jewels. Manscaped is the best below the waist groomer on the market, bar none. No competition, no competitors. It is the absolute best. And now you can get 20% off by going to manscaped.com, M-A-N-S-C-A-P-E-D.com and entering code QUICK at checkout. You get 20% off and free shipping. Even more awesome, Manscaped is now available in Europe, Canada, and Australia. So if you're in America, Europe, Canada, and Australia, you can save 20% and get free shipping by using code QUICK. That lets them know that we sent you, which supports the podcast. It's a win-win for everybody. So go to manscaped.com now and place your order. And as always, this podcast is brought to you by AKA Thailand, the world's premier luxury training resort in Phuket, Thailand. And if you go to akthailand.com right now, you can save 30% off all group training. No expiration date. You can use it anytime in the future. And we can bring you here right now. We have people arriving every single day. We have a, a special three-month visa we can get for you to come in. You can come in and train. You can enjoy the island. And you can save 30%. That's akthailand.com. If you have any questions, email us at info at akthailand.com, and we will get back to you immediately. What's up, everybody? I am here in Thailand. This is the first time I've ever been here. Been dying to come here for years. Mike Swick, he's one of the big reasons he's been trying to pull me down here. What he built down here, aka Thailand, is incredible. There's people here from all over the world. You can train mixed martial arts here, jiu-jitsu. They have weightlifting, they have cardio, and obviously they have Muay Thai, boxing, everything. I'm telling you guys, I know everybody wants to go to Thailand because Thailand's so cool, but you can't come to Thailand without coming to AKA Thailand. Come on. So I got to ask you, man, because of your experience level and and I'm sure a lot of your followers and, and up and coming fighters want to know stuff like this. Um, your typical fight camp, what, what is a typical week like for you, like as far as your your layout of your training? Uh, so I, I live in Omaha, uh, but I do my training camps in Denver. Um, so I do about the last eight weeks uh, of every camp in Denver. So okay. I get to Denver uh, every Monday morning because uh, I travel home every weekend. So, okay, wow. um, I got a wife and three kids wow, and three cool. daughters. Cool, cool. Um, so the whole time I've been in Denver, almost four years now, I'm in training camp. I've never missed a weekend home. Wow. So I get to Denver every Monday morning. Um, my first practice is at 10. Uh, we train from 10 to 12. Um, then after that, we got about an hour break, drive over to strength and conditioning, got an hour there. Uh, and then in the evening I do like a private with Mark and then Tuesdays again, it's t 10 to 12. Um, and then I have a private session in the, like in the early evening or late afternoon. Um, Wednesday is exactly the same as Monday. Um, Thursday is exactly the same as Tuesday. Uh, Friday we spar. 
uh, usually you have like a little bit of like some active, you know, mobility stuff after sparring. And then, uh, I jet straight to the airport. Uh, I head straight from the gym to the airport. I fly home Friday night. Um, my jujitsu coach that I've been with my entire career that I got my black belt from, uh, lives here in Omaha. My boxing coach, uh, in between fights, you know, when I'm home is also here. So then Saturday morning I go train with them. Um, and then Sunday is kind of like an open role. Everyone kind of from around town comes in and we just, you know, roll around. It's kind of a fun day. Um, and then Monday morning I'm back to Denver. I do that every, that's, that's exactly what my week looks like for the eight weeks I'm in Denver. Your early training on the weekdays, is that just like a mix? Is it just like a mix of like grappling and, and technique and, and, and just MMA in general? Yeah. Yeah. So Mondays is typically more of a striking day. Um, uh, Joe Warren will come in a lot of times on cool. Mondays and, and we'll do like our, like kind of like our, our MMA flow, like our flowing from our striking into our wrestling. And then, um, Tuesdays is typically more of a jujitsu day. So right. I guess Monday, Wednesday is more striking, you know, it kind of leans heavy on the striking, but then we mix into the, you know, the clinch work and the takedowns and, and that stuff. And then Tuesday, Thursday is more the wrestling, grappling, jujitsu days. Very similar to AK. Um, do you, you just spar basically one day a week and is it like really hard sparring or is it more, more technique based or just kind of like a mix, like a hybrid mix of both? A lot of times the, the last, um, probably the last 30 minutes of every practice, um, you know, like, like the last 20 or 30 minutes of every practice, we do a lot of flow sparring. Nice. So it's really light it's contact. It. Yeah, it's good. Uh, really stress-free. Uh, you can try all the new shit you've been working on without yeah. being stressed out that you're going to get yoked and someone's going to hurt you in practice. Yeah. Um, so we do that a lot. We do a lot of flow sparring. But Fridays is our only hard sparring day. Um, and we do our – I think our sparring days – I don't know how a lot of other gyms do it, but um, we actually have fight cards that Mark puts up on this big chalkboard. Oh, cool. And then – and we go through the we go through the actual fight card. We start at the bottom and go to the top. Oh, nice! Um, and then so you're matched up. And then uh, on the on the open mat, you know you're kind of just flowing and staying warm and moving around. And honestly, Fridays are a lot of fun. You're kind of you're fucking off a little bit. Yeah, you know, yeah. You're messing around with each other. You take a round off. You watch the guys in the cage. But um, and then when you're up, you you go up and you walk into the cage and then you wait for the round to start. And it's almost like an actual fight. Like we're obviously not trying to kill each other, but it, they're they're absolutely hard rounds. Um, but I think it's kind of cool the way we do it. it. You know, Mark makes the younger guys actually walk the outside of the mat all the way around. Like you're actually walking into the cage yeah, that's nice. um, and they lock you in. And then if it's a good matchup, you know, sometimes I'll take the round off on the, on the open mat and I'll watch and me and some of the older guys like Dustin Jacoby or Chris Camozzi or like, we'll start making bets. Like, man, I got $5 on him. And, and so it's, yeah. we make it a lot of fun, man. It's, it's it, Fridays are a lot of fun. Yeah. That's awesome. That's very smart, man. It took us a long time to get, to where we didn't train so hard. AKA is like one of the, AKA is actually the longest reigning gym from, from as far as an MMA kind of super gym from, from the old days. Like there was, when we started, well, first it was like Lion's Den, then it was like Militich and then us. Mm -hmm. And, and so we were, we're kind of one of the only ones still around that was started that early. Um, but it was a lot of like the Lion's Den Militich Type, you know, type of training, which wasn't so great yeah. for our bodies. And I lost more of my brain cells for sure, which is shocking. I can even do a podcast uh, during training. <laughs> you know, it took us a long time and a lot of missed fights for us to learn to, to slow it down and start doing a little bit more technique based um, and flow a little bit more than just beat the shit out of each other every day. Like we did for years and years and years. That's how I started. It was gym fights. It was, it was crazy. You know what? When I started fighting, Militich was kind of the the hot thing at the time. Yeah, um, they had all the champions. 
and and everybody trained like that that yeah. we kind of just um you know like like I tell people this too like my when I started I was not very good like I I sucked <laughs> me either really <laughs> and the the room that I was in was like Ryan Jensen Jake Ellenberger Joe Ellenberger yeah. Houston Alexander wow. Jason Brills wow. I was I was just getting worked every single yeah. day the 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 reason I'm at where I'm at today is because I just was able to survive yeah. being in a room with all of those guys but that's that's how it was and and it's kind of the same thing with you guys it took us a long time to figure out like all right, maybe we don't need to beat the shit out of each other yeah. every single day. You know, there was times where I'd, I'd go home and just contemplate like, what in the fuck am I doing with myself? You know, like my eyes are all swole shut. My head hurts because I've had Houston Alexander swinging hammers at my face for five rounds. It's just, and I was like 21, you know, I, yeah. 20 maybe. Uh, I think I turned pro when I was 20. So I was training with those guys before that. So sometimes I'm just surprised that I made it this far, like without getting hurt, you know, hurt really bad or, you know, that I can still spell my name and and it's just, it's crazy. So it's the the younger guys in the gym now, like they have no idea what it used to be like and, and, and what some of us went through to get to where we're at now. But I'm really happy that they don't have to go through a lot of those gym fights and the gym wars. Cause there's a lot of guys I felt like would have been really good. They just couldn't make it through the type of practices that we were having at the time or, or, you know, they got clipped one time and then their chin was gone or, you know, it's good that these young guys nowadays don't have to go through that stuff. Yeah, I'm, I'm definitely trying to get as many podcasts out as I can before my CTE kicks in. Um, but like people <laughs> would never understand. Like it was like an it was like a not even a like it was not even out of the ordinary when we would like we would like super glue Fitch's face back together because like after training, he'd be cut. I mean, I can't tell you how many times we super glued that guy's face back together. He's like Frankenstein. <laughs> like we used to, we've at least three or four times we've had to super glue his cuts. And then I can't tell you how many times I went home and I couldn't go to sleep and take my nap because they thought I had a concussion possibly. So I had to like report back if I got sick and threw up or if my head continued hurting before I went back to training in the evening to determine whether I had a concussion or not needed to go to the hospital. Like that was like almost like a normal kind of occurrence, not like every week, but it would, it would, I'd say probably every couple of months at least, or every few months that would happen where like I would get, I would take a really hard shot and maybe, you know, it wouldn't be that bad, but they would at least say, don't take a nap today. You know, that's, Let's see what happens, you know, and because you can't sleep, obviously, if you have a concussion because you might not mm-hmm. wake up. And then, uh, you know, if you get, to get sick to your stomach, you get nauseous and your head starts hurting worse, let us know. And I just be like, okay, I'll see you guys later. And, and I just, it was so yeah. normal. But it's like nowadays people wouldn't understand that. Like it's, it's not easy, man. Like the old days, especially it was, it was, it was a crazy job to have <laughs> for sure. Um, and then let me just go real fast uh, back, just real quick um, on fight week. What is your typical fight week? Um, do you tone it down? Like, do you do like maybe a mediocre Monday, Tuesday, maybe Wednesday, and then tone it down and, and, and spend more time resting and relaxing? Or do you kind of hit it kind of hard? Cause different fighters do different things during fight week. Uh, so I've kind of changed that a little bit recently as well. Uh, before I was like one, you know, one decent practice, not, I wouldn't say even a practice. It was just like a get through the motions kind of thing. Yeah, like an hour session. We go through the motions, get a sweat going, and that was it. But this last fight, I've been—I guess I've just been doing a better job of just, I guess, kind of feeling it and just like whatever I feel like doing, I'm going to do. So instead of trying to schedule it out and say this is what we're going to do at this time, we're going to get this amount of work in, and this is what you know that's what we're going to do. I just been doing what I feel like doing. So like when I got there. Um, well, this last fight, my two of my cornermen who've never haven't missed a fight with me since 2008, yeah. um, both tested positive for COVID oh, God. in the pre-departure test. 
So then uh, one of my main training partners was actually in North Carolina with his family uh, spending Thanksgiving there because I fought, I think Thanksgiving was, I don't know, it, it was during fight week. But so he was, he was there for Thanksgiving. So he just flew to Vegas, left his whole family Thanksgiving day, uh, came to me. And then we just, you know, so I just rolled and we, you know, a couple of those days we rolled pretty hard, but it was, it was just what I was feeling. Yeah. And I've never, ever worked out way in day, uh, before, yeah. but for whatever reason, I was just, you know, my, you know, my, my dude, James Krause was there and Cody was there. And then one of my strength conditioning coaches was there. And then Gina was Gina, uh, uh, Mazzani was fighting. So we all kind of just hung out in my workout room and I just got this really hard workout and just, I don't know. I just yeah. felt it. Yeah. I've never done that before, but, um, that's kind of what they look like typically uh, up until the last couple of fights. It's, it's like one workout and then I just hang out. But, um, the last two, I kind of just been doing what I feel like. So some of the workouts are pretty hard and some of them are fairly easy. It depends on how I feel. Yeah, it's smart, man. And that's that experience talking right there. You know, like I think a lot of people like when you miss training for a day, if you if you have to for whatever reason, that guilt, you know what I mean? Like if you're a dedicated athlete who's like 100 percent focused on winning, if you miss a workout or you don't have as good of a workout, that guilt kind of hits you, you know, and it's the same thing with fight week. Fighters tend to think the younger inexperienced fighters that you're just going to lose everything in that that seven days, like you're going to lose all your cardio and you're going to lose all what you've worked at. But in reality, that recovery is so I feel so important to, to recover that body because you're recovering three months, two months, you know, at least six to eight weeks of hard, hard training that takes a toll on mm-hmm. you, whether you feel it or not, because your body's used to it. So you're not gonna be sore every day, but you know, you're gonna, you're gonna have those, those, those muscles that aren't recovered and you need that recovery to, to kind of move on. So I think that's very smart what you do. I, that's, you know, and, and I, as I, as I get older and, and I, you know, I obviously have a lot of fights. I, I think that that's been more of the focus is just kind of listening to my body and like, yep how do you feel? You know, I think when you're, you're younger and more inexperienced and you're kind of coming up, like I feel great. Nothing hurts. I feel fine. Like you just, you know, you're just trying to be that, that tough guy. But now like, I don't have any problems saying, like, right. man, I kind of feel like shit today. Yeah. Um, you know, on <laughs> leading up to the fight, I tested positive. I never told anybody. Yeah. Um, there's been a yeah, few so fights do that. <laughs> I, I, I fought on the 28th and I tested positive November 8th. Yeah. So, um, I had that entire time of being off completely and I was doing like home workouts and, you know, training here at the house and it, by myself though. So I was just doing that stuff. But it turned out that I think that that time that I was positive for COVID helped you worked out, worked out perfect because yeah. I, I wasn't getting banged up. I wasn't, I just felt really refreshed. So like then I, when I finally got two negatives in a row, I jetted back to Denver and I thought, man, I'm going to be so out of shape. Like, uh, you know, we were going to test it for a couple of days and if I'd lost a lot, we were going to have to tell the UFC, like, listen, we're going to have to push this back because here's what happened. I got COVID. I was trying to hide it. Couldn't hide it. <laughs> so, uh, you know, then I, but I started training and I'm like, I hadn't lost a thing. You know, I'd been completely out eight days yeah. and only doing garage workouts and, and was totally fine. So that was kind of a big eye opener for me. Like I didn't do shit for eight days, you know, fight wise. And I felt way better when I got back. So then I finished out that last real hard week went and fought and I felt phenomenal. Yeah. I, I, I think that's, I, I have, I have no doubts. I think that's, uh, that's probably a good thing, man. And, and I think more people should take more time off after my experience anyway. Um, and I know you've probably been asked this a lot, man. I don't want to like overdo it, but I have a couple of unique questions probably pertaining to it. But I was actually, when, when I was texting you and we were booking this podcast, I was watching Netflix and I was watching Night Stalker. So I'm watching, you know, 
Ramirez like sneak in people's houses and like while I'm texting you on the phone at the same time, knowing that you just had a home invasion back in April. And, I'm, and so I'm like thinking about it. I want to talk to you, but I wanted to ask you about it because I got to just get your thoughts as far as, I guess, from the perspective of, you know, I feel confident if somebody breaks in my house, like, you know, I'm not a ranked fighter anymore. And like, I'm old, I'm 41, I'm in good shape. But if someone breaks in my house, like I have a I have pretty good confidence I'm going to be able to kick their ass. Like the, the chances of them coming in, being a random person into my house that I probably can't kick their ass is not likely unless they're a ranked UFC fighter, which would be kind of weird and random. Um, but when that happens and, and they're in your house, I would be terrified as fuck if I saw someone in my house because I don't know if there's more people. I don't know if there's a weapon. I don't know if there's you know other things involved. So I can just imagine how terrifying or at least nerve-wracking that must have been when you see this guy in your house and you know you have to take action and you don't know a lot of the variables. And, and, and guys that come into people's houses have pretty malicious intent. So you know they're like ready to do whatever. Um, what was that like mentally, stress-wise, adrenaline-wise compared to like walking out to a fight compared to jumping on this guy and having to handle that situation when it was such a real life kind of uh, unexpected thing. Yeah. You, you kind of hit the the nail on the head on a couple of things there. I, I've never been worried if someone comes in just a regular, regular ass dude off the streets, I've never been like, all right, we'll, we'll be just fine. Yeah. <laughs> um, but the problems are like, you don't know how many people are there. Yeah. You don't know what he has. And nobody comes in just to hang out. They're exactly. not there just to say hi. That's for sure. So, um, yeah, it was the, it was the most terrified I've ever been. Can imagine. Um, you know, and again, you know, like you you see what people say, and it's like people still crack the jokes. Like, oh, the toughest fight Anthony's life was, you know, a home intruder. Like, I I I told the story, and I, and I'll be a hundred percent honest with you, man. I was forced to tell the story when I told it, like, because they didn't know if he was gonna live. So like instead of the media being like, you know, so-and-so dies, you know, was beaten to death by Anthony Smith, let's tell the real story. So then w when he does die, people already know what happened. Right. So it's not like the first thing they see is there's a dead guy in my house right. or, or a guy that died because of what I did to him. Let's tell everybody what happened. And then if he does, then they already know the story. They already know what happened. Right. So that's why I had to tell it when I told it. I didn't really want to. That wasn't my decision. Right. So, um. The only the only thing I was able to choose was who I told it to, and Ariel Hawani's always been good to me. He's always treated me fairly. He's always put it out exactly how I said it, and that's the only thing I needed. Um, so th so that's why I told it the, when I told it. But I never once said that he almost won the fight. I never yeah. said that. Um, it was just tough. He was durable uh, because of the drugs and his psychotic break or whatever the hell he had going on. But when when my wife hit me, like she kind of slapped me in the stomach and said there's someone in the house. I've heard her say similar shit like that a hundred times. Hey, do you hear that? There's something outside. Like she's kind of jumpy anyways. Yeah. So like I kind of blew it off at first. Yeah. And then, so I sat up and then I heard it. Like he didn't come in quietly. He came in screaming at the top of his lungs. Fuck. This is the most blood curdling thing I've ever heard in my whole life. So then I don't have a choice, you know, like it's my bedroom and then all my kids are right along the hallway. So like if I walk straight out of my bedroom door, I walk directly towards my kids' bedrooms. If I walk out of my door and turn right, he's right there. So Jeez. as soon as I turn the corner, he's standing there. He's got this big hoodie on and he's like kind of flexing at me and he's screaming. And it's like, I remember thinking like, God damn, that guy's loud. It's the loudest shit I've ever heard in my whole life. Yeah. 
and he was walking my way. And so I, again, like, I think I'd like to think that every father would be like that, that it's him. Then it's me. And behind me is my entire family. Right. Like I don't have a choice. No, I, ha- I have to go. Like, it's not that I want to, or that I'm, I'm braver than anybody else or that I'm, you know, I'm tougher than anyone else. You don't have a choice. It's, I'm the only thing standing between him and my family. So, um, I just engaged him and, and, and I'm not exactly sure. Even now I'm not exactly sure how we ended up on the ground. I know that I think I like ran him over and, and kind of just drove him across the house. And then, and then I just started, honestly, I just started trying to crush his skull. I didn't have anything on me. I was in my underwear. Like I I didn't, you know, I, I just assumed if anyone breaks in your house, especially my house, everybody knows who I am around here. So I, I guess I, a lot of things that were scaring me were a lot of assumptions. Like I'd assume that if you come into my house, you're probably armed because I can't imagine there's anyone stupid enough to think they're going to win a fist fight with me right, right. just coming off the street. So yeah. I'm, I'm, I'm waiting for him to, I'm waiting for a gun to go off or I'm waiting to get stuck in the ribs with something. And then I started to realize like, I don't think he has anything, but he kept trying to jam his hands in his pockets. So I was like trying to keep his hands out of his pockets. Um, while I'm, you know, I'm dropping knees on his head, I'm hitting him with elbows. I'm just, I'm just wrecking this dude. And, but he's not stopping. Like he's not reacting to anything, you know, I, and that was the scariest part. Like he never, it's like he, he never blinked. He just took him every yeah. bit of it and just kept moving and fighting and they just never reacted. So then I kept, I was trying to ask him questions. Like, then I was like, well, maybe he came from someone else. So then, but the, and during this whole t- time, I don't know where he came from. I don't even know at this yeah. time. I don't know how he got in the house. So the only, like, I thought all the doors were locked. So the only windows that you could have gotten in were the windows to my kid's bedroom. So I'm, like, screaming at my wife. Like, because I'm trying to figure all this shit out while yeah, we're yeah, going yeah, at it. crazy. And so I'm screaming at my wife, like, where are the kids? Where are the kids? Where are the kids? So then eventually she figures out, like, oh, shit, Anthony's freaking out. He thinks maybe he was in the kid's bedroom already. So she she's already got them hidden. Their rooms are fine. Yeah, that's not how we got in. So um, then I'm asking him, like, are you alone? Because then I was like, well, if he came in unarmed, maybe he's not by himself. And so then he said, I said, are you alone? And he said, no, and started screaming for somebody else. Like, oh, he shit. needed help. Like, he was screaming for help. So then I really freaked the fuck out. Yeah. Because, oh like, like, I can fight one of them, but I can't. Yeah. I can't fight two like this. And my wife, it, she's wearing almost nothing. So, like. It's not, we're, we're in no position to fight right now. Right, so, right. um, so then she backs up and she's like blocking the kids' bedroom. My mother-in-law at the time lived with us. So she, she's such a gangster. She, uh, I said, Mona, get me a knife. <laughs> so she goes to the butcher block. She gives me this big 10 inch carving knife. So I figure like if this other dude pops out, then I'll just stick this guy that I already got a hold of and I'll just go fight the other one. So I like, I got to kill one and fight the other. Yeah. Um, so that was my plan. Um, turns out that there was no one else in the house. This dude was just, I think, I don't know if he was trying to scare me. Um, if he was, it worked, but, yeah, of course. um, uh, it almost backfired on him cause I almost just killed him right away and then was going to go find the other guy. Yeah, yeah. But my wife, you know, my wife was like, you know, no, 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 <laughs> don't do that. If someone else comes, do what you have to do. But like, you can't just kill him until you see someone else. I'm like, it's probably a good idea. So, um, yeah, the, you know, and the whole time my wife was on the phone with the cops and she's, you know, she's going crazy. The kids are going crazy. And then the cops showed up and um, they arrested him. And, you know, we're kind of then we're we're left with the mess. And, and that that's the one thing that a lot of people miss. Like when he leaves, it doesn't go away. Right. Like my kids are 
you know, my, my oldest, my oldest still wakes up at three in the morning and, you know, wants me to walk around and check the doors. My, my three-year-old, she was the one, she's the one who's seen him first. Um, because when he came in screaming, he woke her up. So when she was running down the hallway to come to me, when she came to the opening, he was right there. So she ran right, right by him. Um, and they were, you know, they were probably 20 feet away, but he was screaming as she was running down the hallway. And so she's seen him in the house. Yeah. Um, and then because I passed her, like as she was coming in the bedroom, I passed her on the way out. So then I just, you know, like I just passed her back to my wife as I was coming out. Um, so she's, she's been in, in therapy, um, since then. And it seems to be working, you know, like at that age, you kind of gotta, you gotta play through it. And, and that's so she's only three years old. So, um, she's figuring it out though. And I don't know, I was, I don't to, to, to get really honest with you, it, it pisses me off that he kind of, he took that sense of security. Like my kids have always been like, if something happens, daddy will always take care right. of me. So in my mind, I was like, well, see, I told you guys, like, I got you. Like something did happen and I took care of it. Yeah. But now it's like they're even so i guess in my stupid fighter brain that should make them feel more comfortable right because i proved everything i've always said i guess i think that's my own ego that you know that's just getting in the way and so that that's the one thing that really pisses me off i'm not i don't worry about him coming back um i don't worry about someone else coming in i think it was a pretty isolated deal but um it does piss me off that uh, it's really, it makes me really angry kind of what he did to my family. Yeah. Well, I'm sorry to hear about that, man. And, and I hope the best for your family recovering from that. And, and like you said, that they were young, so they got time and, and I think it's, it's, it's going to get better and better. And, uh, yeah, sorry to hear that, man. I, it's darker it's than crazy. I thought it was, you know, like I, I didn't know it was so, so dark, but, uh, man, good job taking care of your family. And, uh, I think you made the right decision obviously. And, and it obviously worked out well, you saved everyone. And, um, yeah. Man, shit, I feel bad for asking you. <laughs> no, 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 it's fine. It's fine. It's just, it's, it's, it's way different than I think a lot of people realized. Like, yeah. I think, I, th- I, I think can... sometimes it gets looked at like, oh, it's just some crazy guy came to his house no, and hell no. he beat him up and, and that was it. Like, it's, it's way deeper than that. And then two weeks later, I had to go fight Glover, you know? Yeah. So I was like, oh, that was two weeks away. Yeah. It was like two weeks oh, before that. Yeah. Damn. Yeah. It was nuts. And I wasn't even supposed to be home. Um, Typically, I was in training camp. So I don't remember why I was home. I, maybe the fight had just gotten moved. So I think my camp was getting kind of jumbled around because I was supposed to fight in Nebraska, main event versus Glover. But then the whole COVID thing was going on. It had just hit at the same time. So, uh, yeah, yeah, I think. I, but either way, I wasn't supposed to be home. I would have typically been in training camp in Denver. But luckily, um, I was home and, you know, I was able to take care. Because I don't know what would happen if it would have just been – you know, my wife and kids. Yeah. Like, that's, that's w- way more terrifying. Like, I don't know what the hell would have happened, but fortunately it was, but yeah. So that was kind of some of the shit that I was dealing with going into shit. the Glover fight. And you know, it is what it is now. Yeah. That's what I was talking about as far as things that happen that people don't, you know, understand, but that's a huge one. I mean, that's a major one. Yeah. Jeez, man. I'm just, I'm happy you're okay. And, and, and it, it got worked out and I hope the best for your family, man. And, yeah, I didn't even know it was that, 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 you know, I, I never thought of it from that perspective until I heard you talk about it right now. Like it, it is bigger than just someone in your house. I mean, you, you, you think about the what ifs and it's like, holy shit, that can keep you up at night. You know, like that's. Yeah. Well, and people look at what actually happened. It's, it's less about how it actually went down 
It's about what you thought was going down at the time. Cause you don't actually know. Like when I walked out of the bedroom and he was there, I was a hundred percent sure that I was running in to die. My whole plan was, I figured like adrenaline can carry you through two minutes of anything. Like as long as he didn't just shoot me in the face on my way in, like, you know, if I catch one in the chest, like I can pretty much wreck anybody for two minutes long enough for my wife and kids to get out of the house. So that was my whole plan. And that's, so when I say like, it's easy for me to say, well, my whole plan was just to crush his skull as fast as I could. Yeah. It had nothing to do with me just wanting to kill somebody. It was like, I have two minutes probably before I die from whatever the hell he's got. That's got to be enough time to either incapacitate him enough to where my wife can finish him off or for them to get out of the house. Like my wife's super fast. Like she can get out. She can get my kids out of the house in two minutes and they were already all together. So that's how I, that was kind of just my plan. And she followed me right out of the bedroom on my way out. So when I came out, I went to him and she went to the kids. So I figured I got two minutes before I die. And that's so that's how it started. Yeah. And then it was all right, he's reaching for weapons and I got to deal with that. And then it's people are like, well, why didn't you choke him out? Well, like if you think someone has a gun or a knife, the worst thing to do. So I'm like, I'm hitting him with elbows, not because I'm trying to cut him because obviously elbows aren't the most devastating blow. It's the easiest one to throw while you can hold on to someone's hands at and the same control time. Control them. Yeah. Yeah. And so anytime, like when I, when I had the knife at one point in time, it sounds like, Oh, you got him now. Well, no, now you're controlling him with one hand and you have a knife in the other. So it's like you got to use the knife or put it down because you can't control a psychopath with one hand. And then he started digging in his pockets again. So then I had to drop the knife, get his hands again, um, and then try to knock him out. It wasn't that I was just trying to be the cool guy. I was just really trying to get him to go unconscious yeah. so that I could deal with him. But um, yeah, man, it's fucking crazy. The whole the whole deal's crazy. It's like it seems like sometimes like only this crazy shit happens to me. And it was, <laughs> and it was honestly 100% was my fault. I left the garage door wide open. So. Um, your I fault. came out it's of the, just that I came he took the advantage of, of a mistake, but it, yeah, I mean, it's not your fault. You had to deal with that, obviously. Yeah, this guy's well, crazy. As I shit. live in a really, I live in kind of a bougie neighborhood. It's yeah, it's really family friendly. There's, you know, it, that's not the first time I've left my garage door open. You know, it's anytime I've done it before, the guy across the street will come out at four in the morning to smoke his cigarettes and drink his bush light and and walk across the street and close yeah. my garage door for me. Like it's it's really really tight in that neighborhood. So. Um, it's just one of those things. It's, it's not one of those, like, I've never been up into, up to that point. I never laid in bed and been like, damn, did I leave the garage door open? Cause if I thought I did like, man, fuck it, it'd be fine. Cause that's just how the neighborhood that I live in. It's the, you know, part of the country I live in. Nebraska is pretty, pretty hometown, you know, small town mentality, but, uh, we definitely do things differently now. That's for sure. Yeah. Well, I didn't bring the, mean to bring the conversation down and thanks for sharing all that because I think that definitely the way you explained it so well definitely shared a perspective that's going to probably help a lot of people not have this happen to them because they realize that like even in a nice neighborhood or something like that, you just never know. You know, like I said, I was watching this stuff on Netflix and he's just crawling in houses, taking little kids out and then letting them go crazy. and stuff. And it's like the parents didn't even know. So it's like you just never know. You got to in this world, especially now, as crazy as, as it is, you got to play it safe every day, every way you can. You know, and it's that's just a great example. 
Um, mm -hmm. Wow, man, that's, that's that's freaking crazy. Let me ask you just real fast. Um, you know, you're obviously a really smart guy. You got the radio show. You, you're very good on the mic and stuff. Do you have? I know you're young and in your prime. Um, I usually ask older guys this, but do you have like an end game as far as? Do you see something that you're like? Do you have a second passion aside from fighting that you are looking forward to after fighting's over with that you'd want to be doing in ten to fifteen years and kind of like do as a career after fighting, or are you just more just focused on you know obviously the, your 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 show and stuff and and then just fighting? Uh, I you know I really enjoy working the desk uh, for nice, ESPN. Yeah. That's a, I have a lot of fun doing that. Um, I really enjoy, you know, I got a radio show on Sirius XM, so I, I'm having fun with that stuff for sure. I'm not sure if that's like the main career path. You know, I'm trying to kind of, I don't, I'm not saying I'm trying to figure it out, but I definitely keep my, I don't know, I keep my mind on it. You know, I keep my eyes open, like for something I would like to do. Um, I got a couple plans that kind of involve my wife as far as cool. just things that we want to do moving forward. So she's really close to being done with school. Um, that's kind of a, a thing I, I always promised her dad that I would make sure I got I got her through school and, and made sure that, you know, she can stand on her own two feet if she ever needed to. Yeah, right. Um, so but the plan is kind of to get her is to get her finished with school. And then I, I want to open a private practice for her. Um, and that would be kind of be the, the business side of it. And nice. I could run the business side of it and she could, you know, practice family medicine and take care of babies and cool. whatever the hell she wants to do. And, cool, and just. Man help people so she's a nurse right now and she'll she'll be done i think she got like 10 weeks left um so she's really close that's super cool yeah so i want to i'd like to open a private practice for her and and let her let her do her thing and helping people like she likes to do and then i'll just run the business side and then uh continue with the media stuff and and keep working the desk and and uh doing the radio show and, and try not to put too much on my plate at one time uh, I've kind of been notorious for trying to do too many things at once, but, yeah. um, and as far as long term, like, I don't know, I really don't. I've been fighting since I was 17 years old. So I dropped out of high school and, uh, fell into this fighting thing on accident. And, you know, here I am 32 and I've, I've only done a couple other things. And those things were just to make money in the interim while I was trying to make it fighting. So, um, I don't really know how to do anything else. Yeah. Uh, I don't know anything as well as I know about as as well as I know fighting. So, but you can talk about it as far as fighting too, and you do really well yeah. at that. So that's that's one thing right there, obviously. And yeah, and you're a smart guy. Yeah. So, so I don't I don't know. I don't, it's it's kind of a, a terrifying thing. Like someday I'm gonna have to do something else, and it kind of scares the shit out of me. Um, but on the other side of it, it's like I think I'll enjoy having something else. You know, like I've had a, an entire lifetime of this fighting thing. I think someday it'd be fun to just. I don't know. I don't know what I'm going to do, but I'm going to have to learn something, you know, yeah. and, and just jump headfirst into something. So I guess the plan right now is to make sure that I don't have to do anything that I don't want to. And that's that's kind of my plan is just set myself up financially and, and continue to chase this world title. And then when I'm done fighting, I hopefully I'm in a position still that I can do what I want to do and not what I have to do. Yeah. And we had a saying today, Kay, that was winning uh, fixes everything. So yeah, when you win 100%. the fights, it, it just manages it. You can sit and stress about all the little things through your fight camp and what am I going to do to pay this off and how am I going to get out of this and how is this going to get fixed? But winning fixes everything. So like in your position now, being in your prime and fighting, just keep winning and it's going to solve right. everything else. I got to ask you though real quick before you go, um, one big prediction. We have a pretty big fight coming up here with uh, Mr. Conor McGregor and uh, Dustin Poirier. What is your take on this second go-round? Like what do, you, what do you see happening and, and how would you break that down? I'm, I'm really excited for that fight. It's cool, um, man. I can't I'm wait for too. that one. Just 
I'm excited to see Dustin kind of have an opportunity to get one back. Um, Dustin, Dustin Poirier is one of the good guys in the game. Yep. Um, Very nice guy. And he's just super, super good dude. Really genuine. Just, you know, loves his family. He's got his, you know, his foundation. He just seems like he's doing all the right things. So it's like he deserves the opportunity. I think that as good as Dustin is and as, as many, I don't know what the word I'm looking as, as many advances as he's made in his game. Yeah. I still think Connor presents the same problems that he presented back then. Yeah. Um, I, I think that Dustin is, I, I guess the question is, is Dustin closed the holes that Connor was able to drive a truck through? Um, and, and I, you know, I guess that's why we do have, that's why we have the fight. Cause I, yeah. I don't know. Um, I don't know what Connor seen because the fight happened so fast. You know, yeah. it, it, they didn't really have this three round war where you can really break it down and see where Connor was able to exploit him. I think at the time Connor was relatively, I don't want to say he was unknown, but I don't think a lot of people believed in the Conor McGregor hype at the time. So I don't know if Dustin fell victim to that and was saying, oh, this guy's all hype, kind of like people are saying about Chemayev. And, you know, you see the same story repeat itself over and over and over. The same thing with Adesanya. Like, people don't believe it. It's just a hype train. He's not as good as they say he is. And then all of a sudden people are like, holy shit, he is as good as they say he is. I think Mm -hmm. that that Conor was, you know, the biggest example of that. I don't think Dustin took him serious. And I think that that's probably one of the bigger problems that Dustin is probably fixed at this point. I think yeah, he's absolutely sure. taking him serious <laughs> now. Um, but I, I don't know, man. I, I'm, I'm leaning towards Dustin. I really am. I, I, I feel like at 155, he's at his more natural weight class. I think he's grown into his body a lot. I think he's, I mean, just the, the power that guy possesses at that weight class, especially to be able to stand in the pocket with a guy like Gaethje and win those exchanges. Um, it, I just don't see Connor going in and just, you know, starching him like he did the last time. I just don't. So I'm leaning towards Dustin, but I'm not sure if that's my analyst hat or or just kind of in my heart. You know, I think that's the guy that I'm pulling for, you know, deep down in here. Yeah. Um, just because I think he deserves it. So I don't know, but I'm leaning Dustin. I, I agree with a lot of your points, man, and I think you're absolutely right on the f- the first fight being so fast. I don't think Connor got to really feel Dustin's best attributes. Um, and if he can get those out, if he can, if he can create that, uh, the distance and, and, and drag the fight on a little bit longer and, and stay away and, and, and get in his rhythm and then do what Dustin does, it could change everything. And that's what makes this fight so exciting because th- then we're in a fight, mm-hmm. you know, then we're in a crazy fight with, with two really good fighters uh, in their own right. So, yeah, I'm just excited to watch it, man. I'm, I'm super excited to watch it. And I know, uh, I know you want to come to Thailand. I know you want to come train in Thailand. So, I don't know when, but maybe when this pandemic is over, man, you got to come out here and train at my place and, and I'll let you, you know, I'll show you the, the, the gym and we'll, we'll get you on the boats and go to the islands and you got an open invitation brother and, uh, bring your family if you want, whoever. And, uh, I guarantee you'll have the time of your life. Yeah, that would be awesome. And I, like I said, like I've almost reached out a couple of times, like, you know, I've seen your videos and I'm like, God damn, man, I want to train there so bad. Um, and I said that one time and my wife was like, why don't you just reach out to him? And I was like, ah, I don't know. I'll probably tell me to fuck off. No way. Like, I, can't, you, I can't believe you told me that. I'm like, are you kidding me, bro? Like, come on, dude. No way. Well, you're like, you're like that generation. So like you're the generation ahead of me. So like you guys are the ones that we, that like I've always looked up to like that dude's fucking awesome. You know, like you just, you, you, you know, I just grew up watching you guys fight. So I always think like the, the guys that are in the generation ahead of you look at you in one of two ways, either you they're they're respecting the way that you're doing it or you're fucking up the whole game yeah because i'm very much the same like 
I look at some of the younger guys that are behind me like, God, these guys are idiots. Like you guys, are, you know, like I get that old man mentality. Like you guys have no idea what it was really like back in my day. You know? Yeah, right. So right. like I have that mentality sort towards some of those guys. And then there's, you know, the the guys that are sprinkled in there. They're like, that dude's pretty tough. Like that dude's doing it the right way. Like he's going to make it. So like I look at them in one of two ways. It's either they're idiots or I really respect their game. Um, so like I think the guys ahead of me, I just always – and maybe it's because – I'm like the little brother type to all the guys that I came up with. They're kind of like, that guy's an idiot, you know? Yeah, like, so I guess that's how I always just figured it was, you know? No like, way, man. No, nah, I'm not training that idiot. And the thing is, is like for us, it's like, um, you know, like I had my time, but I'm like a fan now, you know? And it's like I've, I've kind of removed myself so much that like even though I own a fight gym in Thailand and, and I walk around all the time at the fight gym and I'm talking to people and stuff, unless they bring up a fight or, the, you know, I saw your fight against this guy or or I watched your fights, unless they say it, like, I, I honest to God, never even think about myself as being a fight or was a fighter. Like, it never crosses my mind in my, from morning till night, I'd never think about the fact I was a fighter. So it's like, I, I've pulled myself so far away from it that it's never a thought in my mind that, that you know, that I was some fighter who fought 15 times in the UFC and, and had this career and was, whatever the case, it never crosses my mind. Mm -hmm. So it's, 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 I appreciate your words, man. And it means a lot when guys like you that I'm a fan of and, and that I have on the show and I love talking to, I look forward to talking to, says nice things because like, I just don't ever think about it. And, and, and it's cool to know that I did something that, that maybe, you know, somebody saw and took note of and, and appreciated in some respect. So, man, I, I appreciate it. Thank you so much. Yeah, for sure. How did you end up in Thailand? Um, you know, I started with business um, during my UFC career. I built a print shop in, in San Jose, but I was always coming to Thailand for Muay Thai. I was always kind of like, I love the art of Muay Thai. I came in 99, so that was the first time I came. So we're talking like 22 years ago, and I was coming right. every year, and then I started coming before my fight camps, but all the gyms were just like Thai gyms. So I would I'd be in such a Thai stance and, and Thai style, I would have to like go to Thailand, train for a month or two, come home, uh, completely change my, my style to more of an MMA style, have my fight, then go back to Thailand. And I just came so much that I wanted to build like a, like a super gym, like a – like the Hard Rock Cafe or the Planet Hollywood of gyms, like a cool gym that has the it factor, but also that's state of the art and has everything you need to do a full fight camp for like a UFC level fight with world-class BJJ, world-class MMA, world-class team of world champion uh, Muay Thai fighters and Airdyne and strength and conditioning, a restaurant, everything. So I just, th this, this dream just got bigger and bigger and bigger and bigger. And then I just went all in with it, man, and went for it and, and found a location that was like uh, in a beautiful mountainscape jungle there wasn't even access from the roads and and i just went like got, got the land uh you know drew everything out and we, we designed everything with an architect here and i just did it man i just said fuck it i'm gonna go for it. i'm kind of a poker player man so i just went all in and built this 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 gym we built a road we took care of the village and helped them set up the electricity and everything and man just never looked back and uh it's doing good. You know, we get we get all foreigners that come here. Um, so all my clients and guests are foreigners, which has been really bad for the last 10 months because we haven't had any. Thailand's been on lockdown. Mm -hmm. So now I built this huge, gigantic, optimistic gym, and then I've had to sit on it for 10 months and have to pay the expenses. So now it's like, ah, what, what a horrible yeah. worst case scenario that you could never have guessed. You know, like you always think of the worst case, but this is like so far beyond a worst case. I would have never thought Thailand would have closed its borders 
and I wasn't able to get a single like customer in to train them. Um, and now we're finally coming on the upside now. And so the customers are coming in and there's special three month visa that we can offer people. So they're slowly starting to trickle back in and, and, and it's getting built back up a little bit. And then once this is over, you know, it's going to be a lot better, but it's all foreigners, you know? So it's like people from all over the world coming through there and it's cool meeting them, you know, all these different people from all over the world. It's, it's, it's top level UFC fighters coming in. It's, it's uh, people that's never trained before in their lives. They just want the experience and they've heard about it and they want to come and, and experience you know what it's like to train a Muay Thai alongside you know champions and stuff um, and everyone has cool stories and it's just a real like self-gratifying job where you know I can feel good about being able to make a living and and be successful at a, at a business that's actually helping people and creating success stories that we can constantly post and promote on our social media and Instagram because no matter they're if they're a beginner or a pro fighter they're gaining success. You know, we got people that are coming and losing weight and they're so happy about that. People that just want to come and live an alpha life because they, they're behind a cubicle all day long and they want to have a Muay Thai fight and, and just fight another guy, you know, that's another foreigner from a different country that's kind of, you know, an inexperienced fighter like yourself and just have an alpha fight club type fight. Um, and then we have guys like Manel Cap, who's, a, you know, he is about mm -hmm. to have his first fight in the UFC, but he's already had two uh, top five fights back out with Askarov and, and Pantoja. So he's, he's already kind of in that top five category because he was the rising champ. So then when he wins fights, that's another kind of way of, of, of creating success. So it just worked out great, man. And for me, like, you know, being a fighter, this is the perfect thing for me. Like, like, like this is the perfect, I live on an Island, man. It's like beautiful. It's like, we have access to boats and we can just cruise on the islands. We can hang out at the beach. We can, you know, we can hang out at the gym, which is fantastic and get training. in. it's just, for me, it's a perfect post fight career type job. Um, and now with the podcast, it's like I don't feel quite so isolated because I get to talk to such great, interesting people that I'm fans of, like on a daily basis. We've done 74 episodes in nine months um, with Jesus. me doing interviews. Yeah, because I restarted the show uh, back in April. So maybe it's 10 months or something. Um, so it's like I've had 74 podcasts where I've got to talk to such cool people. And it's like so that this is my like outlet. So for me, it's just a great, great thing, man. Like for, for a post fight, I couldn't pick something better to be involved in. And now we're, we're going global with AK, uh, the brand, the licensing um, with Hav. So me and Hav has partnered up and uh, I'm gonna be running the licensing for the whole world. So we're gonna start licensing out AK gyms all over the world. We're actually about to put one up in India right now, the very first one. So it's like, now it's just, the opportunities are growing and more of a business side. And it's like, it's exciting, man. It's cool, like just developing and, and building business and, and, and doing things that's kind of challenging me in ways that aren't where I'm getting punched in the face and, and having to not take naps if I go home. You know what I mean? Where I'm worried about having a concussion. <laughs> it's kind of like that. In a nutshell, it's kind of a long explanation. Sorry. Um, but no, yeah. no, that's I, I wanted to. I, I definitely that's what I wanted, man. I want to know how that it just seems like, uh, I don't know, I guess I look at my path as, as a fighter and like, all right, here's where I might end up. I've never thought like. Yeah, I might end up just owning a place in Thailand and like just rocking it like that. Yeah, like, it's, it's just random. kind of an outside of the box kind of kind of direction, you know. And I I like it, man. That's awesome. But I will absolutely when I when this world when the world opens back up, uh, I'd love to come spend a couple weeks there and just and just check it out. That's always been like the 
kind of one of the bucket list things I want to check off is training in Thailand. Well, I promise you, if you come, we'll check a few bucket list things off. I assure you. <laughs> Let's do it. I promise <laughs> you, man. Let's do it. And uh, listen, man, thank you so much for giving me your time. Man, it's an honor to have you on my show. I'm a big fan of yours. I look forward to your, your fights coming up. Um, it was great to have you on, and, and I appreciate that. So so thank you so much, man. And uh, and I'll ha- and hopefully, man, I'll have you back on. So when you get another fight booked or, or you have something lined up, I'd love to have you come back on for like a quick update and just let us know how you're doing. Let us know how your camp's going and and uh i'd love to have you back for sure let's do it man um yeah i mean you know one of these days we're gonna have to have you on the radio show too just to yeah, talk about sure. fights and kind of just how you how you see them so I'll, I'll stay i'll stay in touch man and we'll figure something out all right brother good luck to ev- on everything and uh i'll stay in touch and uh i'll be rooting you on bro all right man take care <laughs>